0: Welcome to all of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting here at Central Campus, along with others of you that are meeting at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in Bearspaw, and also in South Calgary. So this is Super Bowl weekend, I'm told, uh, which is kind of a U.S. thing. um, But someone sent me a post that said, you should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. And so when your pastor makes a point this Sunday that is true and inspiring, jump up and cheer and pour Gatorade over his head. (laughs) Well, I uh, just want to say I agree that we should be excited about church. And we, as we are about hockey or about football or any other sport, but please, you can smile, uh, you can cheer, you can jump up, uh, you can clap. But no Gatorade, please. All right. You know, one of the realities of life is that people hurt each other. Even the best of friendships can go south. Marriages have their bad days and sometimes their bad months. Co-workers can turn the office into a battlefield. Families can unravel because of hurtful things that are said or just different viewpoints on different matters. Neighbors can grow distant and, uh, from each other over their frustration of, you know, about barking dogs or bothersome cats, especially those cats. <laughs> a few of us have remained unscathed from these kind of conflicts and tensions. I'm reminded of the story of the elderly, elderly lady who was ever so carefully backing her Rolls Royce into a parking stall when a young fellow in a small car zipped into her parking spot before she could get her rolls in. He got out of his car, and he kind of smirked and said, Hey, lady, that's what you can do when you're young and smart. Well, she wasn't impressed, and so she put her rolls in reverse, and to his horror, she began to smash into his little car again and again until she had made enough room to park her rolls in the same parking spot. And she got out of her car and she smirked at him and said, Hey, Sonny, that's what you can do when you're old and rich. (laughs) Well, you see, that's the way it is in life. Whether you're young and smart or you're old and rich, you're going to hurt and irritate some people. And they're going to hurt and irritate you. Well in the next section of our study in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul instructs us in how to respond to those who hurt us, who sometimes just feel like enemies. And So would you stand with me as we read this portion of Scripture together? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our Heavenly Father, um, again, we thank you for your word and its instruction for life. And Lord, we pray now that you would help all of us to focus, to put away those things that distract us. And Lord, that you would help us to to, uh, grow in our understanding of your word and what it is you want want to say to us today. And I pray that you would give us the will to be who you want us to be and the courage to do what you're calling us to do. For I pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before we take a deeper dive into this passage, I, I want to remind you that Paul begins this passage by urging us to offer our bodies or our lives as living sacrifices to God. Everything that Paul teaches. In the chapter we're in, chapter 12, right through to the end of the book, is based on this very pivotal verse. And Paul is essentially saying, I'm going to spell out some ways that you can glorify God. Like, for example, in your service to others, in your relationships. But you're never going to be able to do these things on your own, in your own strength. Only Jesus can do them in you and through you. And that requires that you surrender your ego, your agenda, and your pride, your very life to God. When you offer your body, your life, as a living sacrifice to God, you are giving Jesus who is in you, you're giving him permission to live his life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control through you. And that's going to change everything about you. It's going to uh, 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 change um, how you love others and also how you respond to those who hurt you. As I pointed out last time, when Jesus enters your life, you begin to love with a godly love or uh, in the Greek, agape love. And an agape love is not based on your feelings, it is based on a decision you make to love someone, whether they are worthy of your love, or they love you back or not. It's choosing to love them the way that God loves you. Now, to further set the context for what Paul teaches uh, in our text today, I need to also give a very important caveat right up front. When Paul writes here that we are to bless and extend grace to those who persecute us or hurt us, he isn't referring to those who are abusing you physically or sexually or in any other way. When he says live in harmony and peace with everyone, he's not saying stay In an abusive relationship. Sometimes people assume it's Christ-like to stay in a situation like that, to keep reaching out and to keep showing grace to their abuser again and again, even when the abuser never sincerely repents, never sincerely seeks to get right with God, never sincerely seeks to get the help they need to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. Well, let me be very clear. That is not the context for what is being taught here. The principles being taught in this scripture passage are not referring to situations where your persecutor is criminally abusing you in some way. Notice down in verse 18, Paul writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In abusive situations, it is not possible to keep pursuing such a relationship because it is unsafe for you to do so. However, even though you have no control over the attitudes and the actions of your abuser or persecutor, you do have control over how you will respond to the hurt and the pain that you have suffered and the feelings that you have toward your abuser or persecutor. And that is what Paul is focusing on in this passage, to watch the state of our heart toward the person who has abused us or has hurt us in some way. George Carver has said, I will never allow another person to belittle my soul by making me hate them. Now that's a good word because, as terrible as abuse is, an even greater tragedy would be you continuing to carry hatred, resentment, and unforgiveness in your heart towards your abuser because, in doing so, you will continue to live in bondage and you will have, and and, and all of the negative fallout that will come with that in your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Here in verse 18, Paul challenges us to live at peace with everyone. You can't be at peace with others if you're not at peace within. And that peace will really only come when you extend grace, forgiveness, and pray for your abuser or the person who is persecuting you. It is only then you will be set free to cultivate a healthy relationship with God and others and to be personally whole and healthy. And so with that very important caveat in mind, we come now to today's scripture passage that we read a moment ago in which Paul essentially addresses this question. As a Christian, how do I react to people, whether in the church or outside of the church, Who seem to have it out for me, who are not very nice to me, who actually feel like enemies to me. What does a godly love look like in these circumstances? Well first of all a godly love chooses to bless those who persecute us. That's what Paul says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. To bless someone is to wish God's very best for them. To curse them is to wish the opposite. To bless them is to speak to them with gentleness and respect and to speak well of them to others. To bless them is also to be kind and gracious to them. In verse 20, Paul writes, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You can bless someone in at least two ways. Two ways. First, by speaking to God about them. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, Pray for those who persecute you. By this, he doesn't mean pray vindictive prayers, like, oh, Lord, I pray that you would rain down fire and brimstone upon this person. Now, now we may feel like praying that, but that is not Jesus' way. Rather, pray something like, Lord, even though I'm hurt, by what this person has said or done even though I want to hurt them back help me to see them the way you do help me to see your heart of love for them and so Lord I pray that they will know you and I pray that they will experience the joy of your salvation and that I won't say or that I won't do anything that would prevent That from ever happening and so bless them by speaking to God about them furthermore bless them by speaking well of them to others when someone hurts you in some way Matthew 18 verse 15 says you're to go to the person immediately you're to uh, go to them humbly privately and with the utmost loving concern you don't stew you don't brew you don't talk to everyone else about it first going around telling others about how awful this person has treated you is slanderous and it's sin I can't control what you say about me but I can control what I say about you that's what God is holding me accountable to and so bless people As difficult as it may be, find something good to say about them. Or if you can't say anything good, then don't say anything at all. Imagine what our marriages, our families, our small groups, our workplace, our neighborhoods would be like if we regularly blessed each other in these ways. And God says to us, his children... I want you to live this way. I want you to change the world by living this way. So, first of all, a godly love chooses to bless those who uh, persecute you or hurt you. Secondly, a godly love seeks to understand others' feelings. Verse 15, Paul writes, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. When someone lashes out at you uh, or hurts you in some way, don't immediately think the worst of that person. Don't immediately think the worst of their intentions or motivations. No, try to understand what's going on behind uh, the scenes here. What's going on inside their lives that may have played a role in what they ended up saying or doing. Someone has said that hurt people hurt people. And that's true. Over the years I've learned when someone's obnoxious When someone's venting at you, often it's because they themselves are hurting. Sometimes it's because someone just finished venting at them. Or because there's stuff going on in their life that's killing their joy and their peace. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying excuse their behavior. You know, because they're in a bad place or because they've had a bad week. I mean, we need to be accountable for what we do. But what I'm saying is a godly love seeks to understand what's behind the anger so that instead of responding to them in a defensive, and a hurtful way and just making it all worse, we take a deep breath and we seek to respond to them in a God-honoring way by listening to them, trying to find out what's going on and helping them to find freedom from their pain. Now, as difficult as it can be to, be to empathize with our enemy in their time of hardship, it can be even more challenging to rejoice with them in times of celebration. When someone who has it out for you is rewarded in some way, like, for example, they get a promotion that should have happened to you, we often find ourselves upset with God because we wonder how... God could bless this person who has been so unkind and hurtful to us. Well, Paul responds to this next in verse 16. He says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. He's saying, don't think that you're better than those who are persecuting you. Apart from what God has done for you and me, through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, we're no better than anyone else. You see, pride is at the root of why we struggle rejoicing with those who rejoice or mourning with those who mourn. I mean, think about it. Why do we have difficulty rejoicing with a friend, much less a perceived enemy, who experienced a huge success in some area of endeavor? It's because our pride... gets involved here. We want what they have. We want the admiration that they're receiving and more. On the other hand, why do we tend to rejoice when a friend or a perceived enemy has experienced failure? Well, it's because of our pride again. Because their failure makes us feel better about ourselves. And we think we're now better than them, which the Apostle Paul warns us not to do. And so here's the thing. You see, when we completely surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we are no longer at the center of our lives. And therefore, we are no longer obsessed with comparing and competing with others and are therefore free to genuinely rejoice with those who rejoice and to genuinely mourn with those who mourn. We are free to do so because our identity is in Jesus Christ and not in our accomplishments or how we compare with others or how admired we are by others. No, our identity and focus in life is to please the Lord and Him alone. And folks, that's what Christ wants for the church. Regardless of age, gender, race, education, position, possessions, or power, we are all one in Jesus Christ. And so, godly love seeks to understand other people's feelings. Thirdly, godly love seeks to understand others' point of of view. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Well, the thing that breaks harmony a lot of times is we just don't agree with each other. St. Augustine gave one of the keys to living in harmony with another. He said, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In other words, he was saying, when it comes to truths that the Bible clearly articulates like what's summarized in our our church's statement of faith about uh, about god about jesus about the holy spirit about the gospel in these matters we must be united as a church i mean it's the heart of who we are but when it comes to non-essentials or secondary things that the bible is either silent on or isn't completely clear on Like events leading to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Have you got it all figured out? You know exactly how that's going to happen? Some people think they do. Hmm, but let's face it, there's different perspectives on this. So, you know, the coming of Christ, the role of women in the church, the security of the believer, The doctrine of healing and why some people are healed in this life and others aren't. All important uh, areas that godly Bible scholars have different viewpoints on. And yet, if we're honest, these are not absolutely essential to our salvation. In these secondary issues, says Augustine, we're free to... Agree to disagree with one another. However, even though we may agree to disagree about disputable matters in Scripture or other things like how we raise our kids or how to respond to COVID protocols, which is just a little bit of an issue a while ago. These things should not cause us to break fellowship with one another. These things should not cause us to break fellowship as friends, as family, as community, as ministry groups, but rather that we continue to love one another and live in harmony with one another. Now sadly, there are some people that you will never be able to live in harmony with. For some people, unless you totally believe what they believe about every disputable issue in scripture, or unless you go in the direction they want the church to go, or unless you go in the direction that a certain ministry should go, or unless you do exactly what they want, they will break fellowship with you. But, says Paul in verse 18, even if people won't agree to disagree, and they decide to walk away, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so, godly love seeks to understand people's viewpoints. And then fourthly, when someone has it out for you, godly love does not seek revenge. Notice what it says in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Paul says followers of Christ function with a spirit of kindness and grace they do not repay anyone evil for evil you know quite some time ago i came across a story about some american officers who rented a house for themselves in korea during the korean war they hired a young korean lad in his late teens to do some housework and to cook for them he was a cheerful and a happy fellow so much so his cheerfulness sort of got to the officers kind of bugged them And so they started playing tricks on him um, to see, you know, what it would take to upset him. And they would nail his shoes to the floor, or they'd put a bucket of water on top of a partially open door, and so that when he pushed it open, of course, he got drenched. Amazingly, he had a good spirit through it all. Well, after a while, the officers became ashamed of themselves. That's that part that says you will pour hot coals on their head, Yeah. Anyways, they became ashamed of themselves. And so they called him in and said, we've been doing all these things to you and you have taken it so well. Well, we wanna apologize to you and tell you that we're never gonna do these kind of tricks. We're never gonna play these kind of tricks on you again. In broken English, he responded saying, you mean, you no more nail my shoes to the floor? And they said, no more. He said, you mean, you no more put water on the door? and they said no more and then he smiled and he said okay when me make your soup me no longer spit in it (laughs) friends revenge isn't always seen it can be silent or behind the scenes God says don't do it. Don't be sneaky or underhanded, recruiting allies behind the scenes in order to undermine someone's life or someone's leadership or slandering someone's character or influence. Let it go. Leave it in the hands of God. In verse 17, Paul writes, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. You know, we see that word everyone we think it's about other people. Well, everyone doesn't just include people. It also includes God. And he doesn't miss anything. Now, at this point, I'm sure some of you are thinking, Time out, pastor. This just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we live in a dog-eat-dog world. If we don't stand up for our rights, we, we just, we're just gonna get mowed over by others. We're gonna be taken total advantage of. Well, let me respond to this concern. First of all, it's vital we understand what justice is. Justice means giving a person their due. If a person deserves to be rewarded then justice means they're rewarded. If a person deserves to be recognized then justice means they are to be recognized. If a person deserves to be punished then justice means they're to be punished. And so when someone hurts us in some way they should get what they deserve. That's justice. But you see, that is not the issue here. What is at issue here is Who carries out justice? Paul says here in verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God promises to execute perfect justice in the day of judgment. The question is, do we trust him? Now, he may exact justice through the courts of law. Because as we will see next time in chapter 13, Paul talks about the government's ordained task to maintain order and punish criminals. And so, for example, if someone assaults me, if someone robs me, it's perfectly legitimate for me to charge that person for breaking the law. All that to say, it's okay for me or you To want justice and to seek justice. It's also okay for us to protect and defend ourselves when others are attacking us physically. But as a follower of Christ, we are not to seek revenge. As hard as it is, I need to make the decision to unhook myself from the bitterness, the anger, the disgust, the lust for revenge, directed toward that person and I need to leave it with the Lord to take care of it in his way and in his time. Put another way, I need to forgive. Now I know that feels so unfair and yet here are reasons we need to forgive. First of all, because God has forgiven us. It really bothers us When someone who has hurt us, when someone who's done something wrong, seems to get away with it. And yet God has blessed us far more than we deserve. I mean, remember what we learned in the first five chapters of Romans? If it weren't for the grace of God, we'd all be under God's wrath and God's judgment. We'd be headed for an eternity without God. But you see, Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet under the wrath and the judgment of God, Christ died for us. Jesus made a way for us to be saved and to truly be set free. I've freely received God's grace and God's forgiveness. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it but God granted me his forgiveness because I simply asked him in faith and if you're a child of God here today then you've freely received God's grace and forgiveness as well and Paul says given that you've received something that you don't deserve something you didn't earn How can you possibly justify not extending that same grace and forgiveness to others? That is the first and foremost reason we need to forgive those who have hurt us. Furthermore, we need to forgive so that we have inner peace. Some of you may not even be aware of it, but you live in a bath of acid called resentment. Resentment toward a parent, or a spouse, or a friend, or an in-law, a child, a neighbor, a boss, a co-worker, or a pastor. Just thought I'd throw that in in case it applies. (laughs) Folks, resentment is like a demonic cancer. It will eat away at you and weaken you to the point where you won't be able to function in the present, much less going forward. Now, forgiveness isn't letting someone off the hook of justice. I've already explained that. Forgiveness is letting someone off your hook. For you see, if you don't let offenders off your hook, then you're hooked to them, then you're hooked to the past. Which means continual pain, continual turmoil, continual sleepless nights for you. I mean, the person you're upset with and angry at and resentful toward is probably in Hawaii right now, dancing on the beach. And you're back here grinding away with all of your anger and hatred and sleepless nights. Now, forgiveness like agape love is a decision. Forgiving someone, forgiving someone means I take off my judicial robe, and I say I will not judge you any longer. I am trusting God to be a better justice maker than I am. I am releasing my right to get even or to get my pound of flesh. And when you do that, you will be set free from bitterness and resentment and you will be set free to begin to love again. But having said that, it's also important that I point out that forgiveness is often a process. Jesus taught that forgiveness is continual. We are to keep forgiving 70 times 7. Every time that painful memory comes up, every time seeing a person brings back some hurt, you forgive again and again until you know that you have released them. So how do you know? when you have released them. It doesn't hurt anymore. You no longer see them as the enemy, but you're able to be kind to them and speak well of them apart from the wrong that they've committed. Though you may not necessarily be attracted to them as close friends or spend much time with them at all, you will not feel uncomfortable In their presence and that heavy backpack of grief and pain and hurt that you've been lugging around perhaps for years will finally be gone the third reason that we should forgive is it breaks the chain of pain and revenge a husband says to his wife why didn't you remind me that it's my mother's birthday and his wife comes back at him and says, wait a minute, it's your mother we're talking about here. Why am I supposed to remind you? And he comes back and says, yes, but you're in charge of the calendar. And she comes back and says, so now I'm not just your housemate, I'm your secretary too. And so back and forth it goes, back and forth until finally one of them says, stop, This can't go on. We got to break this destructive cycle we're on. I'm sorry I was wrong. Forgive me. Let's put this behind us and and let's move on. Life is just too short. You see, if we don't do that, you get a situation like we so often see in the Middle East. You know, you bomb us, we'll bomb you. You sink a couple of ours, we'll sink a couple of yours. Or like the ethnic fighting that we have witnessed in different parts of the world down through the years where one group says, we're gonna make you pay because we don't like the way you treated our people 50 years ago. And the other group says, well, we're gonna make you pay because we don't like the way you treated our people in the 18th century. And then the first group says, well, we're going to make you pay because we don't like the way you treated our people in the 14th century. And see, this goes on and on and on until someone finally shouts, stop. We've got to break this murderous, hate-filled cycle. We're sorry. We were wrong. We did wrong. We admit it. Will you please forgive us? I mean, folks, the strongest argument in favor of grace and forgiveness is the alternative. A world of unforgiveness. Can you imagine living in a permanent state of unforgiveness? Where a husband and wife are too stubborn and too proud to forgive each other, and they sleep apart for weeks, if not years? Where children refuse to speak to parents, and parents refuse to speak to children. Where friends, siblings, refuse to speak to each other for months, if not years. Only grace, only forgiveness breaks the cycle of revenge. It does not always settle the questions of blame, or justice, or fairness. It does not, but it does allow relationships to start over. It releases the offended person of bitterness and anger and releases the stranglehold of guilt on the offender. And how beautiful that is. I mean, where would we all be if we couldn't start over? Which of us would have even one friend? if we couldn't be forgiven or if we couldn't forgive. And so in verse 21, Paul sums it all up. Basically says, when we trust God, when we make things right, and we trust him too, To enact justice in his way in his time and we choose forgiveness rather than bitterness and resentment we will not be overcome by evil but we'll overcome evil with good you know every once in a while you hear about a father and a mother forgiving the person who murdered their son or daughter or you hear about a husband forgiving the person who raped and murdered his wife and every time such an act of forgiveness happens, it seems like the world stops for just a moment. People grow quiet. And often with, a te- with tears in their eyes, they will listen with rapt attention to what the husband or those parents say to the murderer. And you know why that is? I believe it's because the world longs for grace and for forgiveness. Every person on this planet is hungry and thirsty for grace and forgiveness. I don't believe there's a person in this place, in any of our campuses, regardless of how tough and calloused on the outside, who doesn't long to forgive and to be forgiven. But you see, it won't happen until we're prepared to break the cycle and do what seems so totally unfair and unjust, and that is to extend the same grace and forgiveness to others that our Lord Jesus died in order to extend to us. And so we all have a choice to make. We can coddle our hurt until it turns to bitterness and hate, And destroys us from the inside out, or we can turn our lives over to the one who forgave us and who gives us the power to forgive and to live in victory if we will but ask for it. Friend, genuinely forgiving someone isn't easy. Loving others with a godly love isn't easy. And that's why you need Jesus. You need him in your life to do what you can't do. I'm gonna ask you, in closing, where are things at with you and the Lord? Would you just bow your heads? Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Where are things at with you and the Lord? Is there someone who feels like an enemy you need to forgive? Take those questions to the Lord right now and ask him, Lord, What are you saying to me? What do you want me to do about it? And then after a few moments of reflection, we're gonna respond by saying a prayer together to God, asking him to purify our hearts, to set us apart, to do his will, to love like he would have us to love, to forgive as he would have us to forgive. Just take a moment right now with the Lord.